1: Hey, y'all. Happy Wednesday. This is Josh Norris out in Durham, joined by Jeff Ponce out in Worcester, Mass. For another edition of The Bear, that's me, and The Parrot, talking about this week's Hot Sheet. The Parrot, of course, is Jeff. There's not a a bird in the room that I know of. Um, But this is our third installment of our Hot Sheet uh, podcast that goes along with our Hot Sheet chat and our Hot Sheet, in which we talk a little bit about the players on the Hot Sheet, but then just some about baseball in general uh so this week you know after a long night of updating our or getting ready to update our top 100 and our midseason top 30s we uh turned uh, bleary-eyed and caffeine veined toward hot sheet and what we came out with was what you see on the website right now uh jeff how do you think the list came out this week since you were the parrot who put it together
2: yes i uh I like it. You know, I I definitely will take um, some shots on some lower profile guys from time to time, um, you know, and try to put some different names out there for sure. Um, Maybe I got a little bit of cute. I don't know. But I think there were a lot of good performances this week, um, you know, particularly at the upper levels of the minors. And, you know, I do always try to put some weight in that the guys performing at AAA or double a versus a guy that's doing it in low a um you know age appropriateness all of that sort of thing um so yeah i mean i thought it came out pretty good we did get some some top names on here as well some interesting prospects but overall i felt pretty good about the performance i had and uh yeah i think we had maybe one one pitcher that allowed a, a run the entire week between the group that we have on the list so you know, Always trying to find the best possible performance from week to week and uh, guys with interesting stuff because if I'm picking the players, I like to take the pitchers as my own and write about guys that have interesting fastballs and secondaries because that's the stuff that I get excited about.
1: So what I heard in that, in that uh, 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 thing you just said was, I like to take shots and I like to get cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <hey. laughs> that's the, that's the jeff ponce <laughs> brand right there <laughs> it's, it's very, but uh in all seriousness um at the top of the list we have a guy named esteban Florial, who will be familiar to yankees fans as their former number one prospect low these many years ago um he's had a heck of a last couple months or so um or month at least um you know, the thing about him was, as I put in the capsule, it's never been about lack of talent. And it, it kind of reinforces the phrase development is not linear. And it's certainly not linear when you break bones in your hands and wrists over two consecutive seasons. And then a pandemic happened. And I think I wrote that he had like 85 games in the 2018 through 2020 season total, um, so that tends to stunt a guy's development. Um, you know, he was an an untouchable prospect, which we will touch on a bit later um, in the Yankee system around 2017 when they were it was 2017 when they were discussing the Sonny Gray trade. I remember being at a series in Charleston, kind of trying to put together a feature on him with the notion that he would like he might have like a week left in the Yankees organization, and then they uh, you know didn't trade him. They managed to put together that trade without him and the rest is history. The A's got four, uh, three or four guys. All of them made the big leagues. Um, so point is Florial is back and he's mashing. And the key right now is, you know, he's not chasing as much. He's just not, he's doing a much better job of commanding the strike zone. He's changed kind of the, the angle of his bat a little bit. And that's allowing for more optimized path, and uh, the results speak for themselves. Um, I don't know where there's room at the inn right now. I can hear people screaming from the Bronx uh, in Joey Gallo's spot, and sometimes in Aaron <laughs> Hicks's spot. Um, but uh, he definitely has the look of a guy who may be starting to, to creep toward what his ceiling was once thought to be. What do you think of? Estevan uh, Floreal Jeff
2: yeah I think it's pretty remarkable right like we we have guys like this where you know maybe they show something in the lower levels there's some questions as to the approach or the hit and we're fascinated by the player and the tools and the skills and kind of like what this guy could potentially be long term and then they hit some bumps in the road as they hit the upper minors which I think is a pretty reasonable thing (laughs) to struggle with. Um, He's still only 24 years old. Mm -hmm. He's got, you know, plus game power. I'll say just, that's just based on the exit data. You know, you're talking about a guy that averages 91 to 92 miles per hour and his average exit velocities, um, you know, on the higher end of that number. Um, A guy who, um, you know, hits, you know, 107, um to 112 and his you know his, his top end exit velocity so there's there's juice there he's hit 113 114 before in previous years as you said i think the bat path has been optimized a little bit um he's getting more flush more barrel contact he's he's tightened up his launch angle is probably a good way to put it meaning that there's less variance in terms of the high end of the low end so he's sort of hitting those balls in those optimal ranges of like 10 to say like 30 degrees um And, you know, though he still swings and and misses and there's definitely some contact concerns, um, he makes good swing decisions. He doesn't expand the zone. So when you have power, when you have, you know, some supporting skills in the field um, and you have on-base ability, it allows you to have, you know, some of those concerns regarding the swing and miss, where if you're swinging and missing on good pitches in the zone, um, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, make contact with one out of three. And if you're, you know, hitting at a good launch angle, you're hitting the right pitches and you're hitting the ball hard. It's not going to matter as much. So he's always going to be somebody, I think that goes through some struggles and some, 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 some rough patches just because of the nature of the kind of player that he is. Um, But he certainly has sort of refined some of the areas where he was lacking to the point that it's like, all right, this is a fringe average skill now where it was a well below average skill before. And Um, that heightened a lot of the other stuff that, that Floriel does. So he's really interesting, you know, I mean, guy that can play center field, it's left-handed power. He gets on base. Um, so you'll take some of the swing and miss with that and, and hope at, you know, 24, he's still refining that. And if he can get to, to sort of like a borderline like a real average sort of contact level, this could be a guy that, that, you know, starts every day for a competitive team and maybe even makes a couple of all-star teams. So I think that might be kind of the high end of the profile there's power here. There's, there's stuff. I mean, it's, it's a potentially exciting player if, if he's refining it. And it's funny because he's not in the hot sheet this week, but another guy that I've written about over the last week, plus that's made some changes. It's like, Will Benson, will Benson has finally sort of become, um, you know, an average plus contact hitter with good swing decisions still has that power still has some defensive value. Um, but I think both of those guys are good examples of, you know, sometimes like that guys get into that 23, 24 year old range. And we kind of write them off when, you know, often that's when they kind of turn the corner. So, yeah, Auriel, I mean, number one on the list, good example.
1: Um, you know, I think last time we did this, we let you go on your Griff <laughs> McGarry um, preamble, and he's number two again this week. So, you have your Huckleberry. Uh, take your sip of water there, Jeff, and fire up the Griff McGarry hypometer. He's number two on the <laughs> hot sheet. He's starting today against, oh, Uh, Ryan Murphy, I believe, in Richmond, Richmond. Uh, Funville, USA, home of Nutsy and Natasha, the Diamond Baby, the crazy hot dog vendor, one of two crazy hot dog vendors in the minors, all this to say, Griff McGarry, go.
2: (laughs) So uh, McGarry, man, like, once again, comes out, um, absolutely shoves in his last start with Jersey Shore. He goes... Six innings, um, only allowed a hit. He did walk four, but that's kind of the that's kind of the Griff McGarry playbook. He kind of works around any of the command issues, um, which at times stops guys from making hard contact, right? So I guess you know if you're gonna if it was let's say four hits and a walk, you probably the guy that's fine. Um, struck out eleven. He hit 97 on the gun, I think seven times. Um, generated a ton of swinging strikes. A bunch were against his fastball. He got, you know, a handful against a slider. I think he actually got whips against four of his five pitches. Uh, The only pitch that didn't get a whiff was his changeup. But, you know, this is a guy that has power in his fastball. He is a good cutter. He is a good slider. Um, You know, show that curveball as well, which has some power. Um, It's a great pitch mix. And he's really refined it since he's come into pro ball. Um, that even though he does still have some command questions it's nothing like it it was at UVA he's really turned a corner and uh, credit to the Phillies because you know they've they've got a couple of these arms now in the system that have um, really impressed over the last couple of years particularly this season and particularly within that much vaunted Jersey Shore rotation so uh, excited to see what Griff does tonight um, it wouldn't shock me if it's maybe a rough outing uh as he jumps the level, but I do think, you know, as he seen seems to do, we'll probably settle in after a couple of starts and you know we'll start to see um that signature fastball, slider, cutter mix, mixing in the curveball, mixing in the changeup when he needs it.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's he's he's really interesting. If you told me that you'd have a staff with Mick Abel on it and uh now Andrew Painter on it and ben brown who's emerged as well on it and that this guy might be the one who moves the most quickly now granted he is uh, the most advanced he's obviously a college guy but um i would have taken the uh, a little little bit of surprise on that one but i did remember having doing the handbook calls last year and one scouting director i talked to amateur scout director i i don't know why this even came up but he was like man, I really wanted him and I was really angry we didn't get him, good job Phillies, basically is what he said on Griff McGarry. And then he started showing off, I believe in Instructs or something like that and kind of reinforcing this. And now uh, he's kind of, a I don't know if he's on the rocket ship, but he's on a, something between a rocket ship and a regular mode of transportation. He's going up, he's on an elevator, an elevator that's, uh, that's most cranked up a little bit to the top. Uh, It's an interesting metaphor and that's what you get after uh, a night like we had last night. So we'll move on to deeper in the list. You know, we're talking about uh, dominant pitchers Uh, way down in the list. uh, Taj Bradley with the Rays, you know, there's a, there's a lot of good arms running around the minor leagues right now. Um, And he is one of the Rays top prospects for sure. But for some reason, I don't think the hype has been super loud on him this year, but man, oh man, oh man, has he been good. From the hot sheet right up, in the last two months, May and June, dude had an ERA sub 1.5, which is pretty difficult, pretty easy to do. Pretty difficult to do. Pretty easy to do is wrong. Pretty difficult to do, especially when it's your first turn at double A and you're so young. But man, he's got the stuff. He's nasty. He's striking about. That since that time he's striking about just a touch over forty percent of the hitters he faces, uh, he's really really good, and I think he's pretty clearly the number one arm in that system. It's like neck and neck uh, with him, with Curtis Mead for like in that system for, for like most helium in the Rays system. What do you think of Taj Bradley geoff
2: I really like him. Really good fastball. Um, good slider. Uh, it's an interesting slider shape. He mixes in that splitter, and and that's the 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 pitch of his that I find to be the most fascinating long term. Um, because the, the feel for it still comes and goes. But if that's going to potentially be a bigger part of his arsenal as he matures, once he's, you know, in triple A, in the majors, maybe even a year into the majors, um, it's a true nasty three pitch mix that gives a really interesting look, um, just based on his fastball shape, his slider shape, and then having that that splitter that he can mix in there. Um, and it's kind of perfect for you know a higher powered, athletic um, thrower like Bradley. I mean, he's not the biggest guy in the world if you if you see him, um, but you know <laughs> he dominates and throws and sort of attacks the zone as if he's like a six foot five guy with you know, the biggest stuff in the world. Um, you know, still, like I said, athletic, the stuff is really, really good. Um, he's just not six foot five, but he does have, you know, some absolutely tremendous stuff. And uh, he's one of my favorite pitching prospects to watch. You know, I, I love an athletic right-hander, you know, that's maybe not the biggest guy in the world. Um, and I mean, he's not super small. He's about average. He's about six 190. It's maybe of a we'll say a tim hudson kind of a body or something but um i really like him and like i said he's one of those guys that i'm constantly checking for his line every week when i'm on the hot sheet there's a good chance that that he's gonna make it he's
1: been hot he's been hot hot hot. um so I, i promised earlier in the podcast that we'd circle around to the concept of untouchables we are a little less than a month away from the trade deadline and the terms are going to be fly, flying around a lot. Who's, uh, who's asking for whom from which team, which contender is uh, saying no on giving up their top prospect and which uh, selling team is trying to get, you know, which top 50 top 25 prospect in the game. And you're going to hear the word untouchable uh, thrown around a lot. I want to know, Jeff, what do you think about the concept of untouchable prospects? Are there really such a thing or is it all a matter of who's on the table?
2: Yeah. I think that there's probably certain guys that make sense that they're untouchable. Um, like if I was, uh, the Orioles, I'm probably not trading Grayson Rodriguez. I'm probably not trading Adley Rushman.
1: They're also Uh, probably not buying anyway.
2: Yeah, exactly. Corbin Carroll, uh, you know, Jackson Churio, I would say at this point is probably untouchable unless the brewers know some, some scary information that we don't, but we don't want to think that way. Uh, but, I mean, that's a guy that we've pretty much universally, no matter what scouting director we've spoken with, scouts that work that that beat, we've universally gotten like sixes and sevens on Cheerio. So he seems like a guy that if I was, a you know, the <laughs> farm director, that might be a name that, like, I personally would probably put on my untouchable list. You know, there would be other guys that we would discuss before we would discuss Cheerio. And, you know, they're a competitive team. So, you know, I mean, like, if Juan Soto was in the equation, I think Churio probably is in the conversation. So I think the concept of untouchable is really sort of like one of those sliders you would have, like when you were learning multiplication, where it was like, if you put this number and this number, it's this number. Like, did you ever have one of those like little spinny wheels? Or am I just so old that I had one of those? But like, it's kind and of you like...
1: Said- When you said sliders, I thought, no, man, all I ever had was a fastball. I stopped playing when I was 12.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But like, it's like one of those things, if you match up one thing, one thing you get like a particular answer. And I kind of feel like it's that with like, how competitive is your team? You know, how good are your prospects and how good is the player that you're trying to acquire? it's like, then the untouchable equation, I think really changes and alters a little bit. So I think it's, you know, it's one of those things where it depends, right? And and that's kind of the best answer that you can give. But I do think there's some guys that are probably on the untouchable list unless you're talking about some of the premier premier players in the game. That's the only time that you're going to see a guy right. like that.
1: And that's to- generally where I am on that. I think there are fans and fan bases who believe too heavily in untouchables <laughs> like I'll I'll do my I'll do my annual and probably semi-annual list of hey uh, if you're a fan of such and such team, tell me who you think in your system is untouchable. And some guys will send back like five names. And it's like, okay, then you're not getting anyone. Cause you gotta, you, you gotta have someone who's touchable. Who's among your, your top guys. You can't, you know, just trade three pennies for a dollar here. This is not how this works, but I think you hit on it. Like, yeah. Jackson Chorio is a guy who, I mean, I like him. I think he's good. Um, who is probably not accessible to use a, uh, Scouting director terms, uh, one of my favorite new terms, is accessible in most deals. But if you are the Brewers and you believe you are going to acquire a game-changing player for you know not just one year, not just two years, but a, a younger star, if you can somehow do that, if you can somehow access that type of player, then yeah, Jackson might have to be on the table. I'm not saying there's a scenario out there where that's in play, to be clear. I'm just kind of dreaming here on a a Wednesday morning, but you know, that that's the one where you're saying, okay, we haven't won a world series since 1982. That's longer than I've been alive. Um, We're competitive right now. And if you believe this player has a chance to win you a world series, not only this year, but maybe help you get over that hump in the coming years, then I think anything and everything has to be on the table. Like, yeah, you mentioned Adley and Corbin Carroll and those teams aren't, I don't know what scenario uh, there would be where they're uh, buying at the deadline, but yeah, that's kind of my thing is, is just, I think the word untouchable gets thrown around way too long. And some of these guys should have been touchable in retrospect because major leaguers are a lot of things, but they are definitely major leaguers and the guys who are getting moved around can really help you um, win a world series, which last I checked, was the goal of, whole, of this whole thing we, that uh, big league teams do? It's not the goal of you and I, Jeff. We're not going to win a World Series anytime soon. We're just a couple bats short, and a couple arms, and a couple defenders, and a good manager, and a budget short of winning a World Series here, Jeff. But and a stadium. I guess the deep bath might work. But anyway, that's a tangent. Anyway, I wanted to bring up the concept of untouchables because it's one of the most fascinating things in the world to me, at least in the world of baseball the how teams value certain guys and maybe the the, how fans value certain prospects um well that's a long way of saying you know there's very few true untouchables in my mind and i'm not sure there are any at this point um so jeff is there anything else you wanted to add before we move on to the next stage of our day and our week and our lives
2: no um the only other one i want to n- take a shot out on here just because i think it's kind of interesting uh that a guy like this would make the hot sheet because he's not sort of typically within um <laughs> sort of the parameters of what we look at but but ronan kopp who's really a reliever but goes multiple innings um for rancho cucamonga and low a, he was a draft league guy i believe last year a mlb combine guy um and got an opportunity, and I think you know, it was a Juco dude. was able to show off his stuff, and he has some of the best left handed stuff in baseball like all of baseball. There's not many lefties that sit, you know, 95, 96, running up to 97, 98, could touch 99 with ride, serious bite, you know, low launch, and then mixes in like a mid 80s sweeper. There's not many guys in baseball that throw a sweeper that gets nine to 10 inches plus of vertical, excuse me, vertical, of horizontal break at 84 to 86 miles per hour, but Ronan cop is one of them. The command when you have stuff like that is always gonna be a big question mark, but he had a great week, crossed a couple of appearances, um, You know, was the only guy that allowed a run, though it was unearned, uh, over six innings of work, struck at 11 to three walks, two hits. And uh, I think he could be a really interesting high leverage pen arm for the uh, Dodgers, like they need another one within like two to three years and still is fairly young. So. Maybe there's some more starter upside there than I think. Um, I, I kind of view him as a reliever, but it's just such interesting stuff that I wanted to mention him here because I think it's fun to kind of give some of those guys shine because they might, uh, they might fall under the parameters of some of your statistical searches and such in, in the minor leagues if, uh, if you're following along you know, throughout the year.
1: And we're going to close this podcast here in a second, but before we do, we need to take an ad break, and we will do so right now. And we're back. And before we go, um, I did want to mention that today is Wednesday and Brian Bellow is going to make his debut for the Red Sox of Boston. And being the resident Worcesterite, Massachusettser person in that general region, and you have seen Mr. Bellow uh, a few times. Are you excited to watch him tonight on the on the television, or will you be at the Cape, or what's going to be go on I'm not you?
2: sure. It's it's all going to depend on uh, how quickly I finish the things that I have in front of mm-hmm. I have, I have so many different ideas, articles, projects that you know internally we're working on, up until we're out in California for the Futures Game and all that sort of stuff. So, and those announcements are coming out today as well. So I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. yeah,
1: by, I'm by, really, by the really, time you hear this, J, our boss JJ Cooper will have. Uh, mentioned a few of them on the on the radio machine
2: exactly so um i have so much stuff to work on i have a couple of different interesting draft articles that i'm working on that are going to come out we got some reports some updates in the top 30s some big updates in the top 30s prior to the draft and the trade deadline and all that's going to get shaken up in two weeks (laughs) which i love and uh just so much stuff that i'm working on so we'll see i mean i want to get out and see zulueta it's his first start uh, in new hampshire home in new hampshire he's in portland last week against chris sale really interested to see him now that he's back on the east coast and up here in the northeast for the first time um, i think i might be traveling to see zulu uh as opposed to the cape or watching Bello, but or bayo excuse me but I, I there's a chance that i could be watching Bayo like on the tv prior to the game uh and during the game while i'm while i'm there so you know fingers crossed to get all my work done and i can get on the road by five o'clock but got
1: a lot going on today <laughs> yeah, I, I've got, we've, got, we've got a top 100 meeting here soon. got about an hour and change. Uh, I don't know what my schedule is going to look like. I've got, a, 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 for the upcoming MAG, I've got an article about sleeper-type prospects in the uh, complex leagues. Uh, um, Harlan, Susanna, hello. Please proceed to the white-paging telephone. Nobody gets that reference. But uh, he's, he's, uh, he's a guy to watch out there for sure. Um, There's some other interesting guys. uh, If you're a Yankees fan, keep an eye on a right-hander named Luis Serna. Uh, He's in the the, uh, Florida Complex League. He is the opposite of my other uh, favorite, uh, uh, Angel Benitez, Angel Benitez in the DSL, who is a large human. Uh, Luis Serna is listed at 5'11", 145, and I asked the scout if that's accurate, and he said with his cleats on, maybe. But uh, he's got (laughs) some good stuff. He's got a four-pitch arsenal and pitchability and a change up that uh, has been described as an airbender. So he's a uh, he's an interesting prospect to watch and he might just appear on the Yankees 30 which comes out uh, the updated 30 which comes out soon. Spoiler alert. Mm. Anyway, for Jeff pontus aka The Parrot and me aka The Bear. This is us signing off for another edition of Hot Sheet podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for the download. Thank you for reading. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for everything. Thank you for being a friend. You all are pals and confidants. Goodbye.